happy Thursday, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to NBA Stories. I'm your host, Nick Nasby, and I'm here with Mark DeQuilla. Mark, how's it going? Doing good, man. Um, last night, man, we were live tweeting those basketball games, and like that was just – that's as fun as it gets right there. I mean, last night was a great slate. I feel like the season is finally getting going to the point where, like, you know who's legit. We had maybe an NBA Finals preview last night, Nets-Suns. I know, Then, granted, the Nets didn't have Kyrie and KD, but that, that was a huge win. They come back without either one of them to beat the hottest team in the NBA, arguably, in the Suns. I just – I'm watching NBA day in and day out right now, and God damn, do I love this sport. Yeah, League Pass is fun right now. League Pass is good. Yeah, I'm having a weird day. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Mark. For all of our listeners from Podcastagram, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, we're getting featured today, if you're listening today, on Thursday, uh, the, the the 18th of February. So thanks for tuning in. Make sure you leave a, a five-star review if you like what we're saying. If not, just you know, don't do anything. Uh, just go about your day. I don't, we don't need you. But today, I was cooking... And I have this, I have this uh, pain is good hot sauce. It's like habanero hot sauce. And it's like my favorite hot sauce, right? And it's like, I can't have it too much because it's super hot. And it, 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 it lingers for a while, you know? But I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I'm going to cook this chicken in my air fryer because I have an air fryer for anybody who doesn't. I don't know what the fuck you're doing with your life. I'm going to cook this chicken with this habanero hot sauce on it because like, w- what's the worst that could happen? And for the past like four hours, my apartment's just had pain is good hot sauce particles just like sifting through the air. I've been breathing it. It's uh, it's been it's been in my eyes. It's been in my lungs. I've been incapacitated for the past two hours. I really don't know where I am. Mark, you there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Am I here? I, okay. You're still there. That was for me. That wasn't for you. That was for me. It's uh, I'm just getting back to normal. And last night, yeah, last night was fun, man. Last night was a good night of games. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about with the Suns being the finals caliber, but whatever. <laughs> I like Cam Johnson just as much as the next guy. Chris Paul elevates every team he goes on. I get it. They're not. They're they're just not getting out of the West, man. Can the West is too stupid. Can we? Uh, real quick, I just can we though agree on one thing, which is can as NBA fans, the NBA world, we're a part of the community with this podcast. Can we stop this narrative that, I mean, one player I'll give you, but this narrative that both Jamal Murray and Devin Booker are simply bubble players, it needs to stop on the end of Devin Booker. The only reason reason Devin Booker's numbers are down this year compared to last year is look at the talent you added around him. Like you said, Chris Paul elevates everybody's play, but Devin Booker is used to putting up those ridiculous numbers every single season because the sun sucked. You add a lot of pieces there, and yo, let's not forget, arguably the most underrated acquisition of this offseason is Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is sorely being missed by the Heat right now, and on this Suns team, he's a key player. That guy can shoot, he can play defense, he can defend the three, the four, whatever you need. I just think it's a really well-built team, but I'm sick of this narrative that Devin Booker is suddenly not the same player. Chris Paul is handling the ball a lot more. It's taken a lot of pressure off him. I think it's helping his too. game more than I mean, it's we hurting. We talk him. about the stats being dipped. That's fine. Like a, a low stat number for Devin Booker right now is like to what twenty four a game. That's fine, all well and good. The numbers are going to dip when you have a point guard like that. My issue is that when they're on the court together, their plus minus is like abysmal. Their offensive efficiency mm-hmm. is like 
the lowest of any of any lineup you know that they have on that team so it's like they don't play well together that's the problem you know you can't have the best point guard in the league well i mean probably mm-hmm. the best all-around career career-wise you know in the league uh and one of the best scorers on, on the same team and not play them together and if you do play them together then they don't do well so what the fuck do you do you know like i don't think Devin is used to having somebody who facilitates an offense like that i think it's going to take him some time and I think he's going to have to get used to it, obviously, if they want to win. It seems like they're clicking a little bit better than they were. But I think that's a major issue that they have to look at. Like, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? How do you how do you facilitate that? How do you manage that lineup? Because they have to be in the same starting lineup. You can't take one of them and put them on the bench. It just doesn't make sense. You know, so they have to figure that out. I, I think they will. I, I, I mean, if, they, if anybody was going to do it, it would be them in that position because they have one of the best clutch time performers in probably in history in Chris Paul. I've never seen somebody, but minus that Clippers series, we won't go into Mm -hmm. that. You know, that was just a brain fart. I don't know what was wrong with him. You know, maybe he was high, maybe his, his kid failed the test or something. But other than that, his career has really said like, this guy knows how to play in the clutch. And I, and I think that it's important for us to to pay attention to that, especially when it gets down to the end of the season, when we're seeing the the Suns as a four or five seed, and they're going to have to play they're going to have to play another four or five seed, which in this case very well might be the Nuggets. It's going to be a tough first round, you know, to get out of. So I think if the Suns really want to make it out, they're going to have to be a three. If they really want to make it out, they're going to have to be a three. We cannot mm-hmm. overlook the fact that the Blazers are also killing it right now. Damien's literally just carrying a team by himself again. That's the, that's another problem. CJ's coming back at some point. I don't know if Nurkic is going to, but he might also. Do the Blazers play better when their teams hurt? Is that or is that just me? I mean, this guy Damian Lillard just feeds off of that. I think that's pr- pretty obvious at this point. Um, the guy likes to play solo. I've never seen something so ridiculous in terms of one player putting a team on his back. He's been doing it for years. And, you know, last year in the bubble, you thought that they looked so good because Nurkic was back um, and that they needed Nurkic. I just – we've talked about it time and time again that you got to think that depth comes back to bite that team in the ass when it comes down to it because they got nada when it comes to depth. Absolutely nothing. Now, is it a scary team you don't want to face off against come playoff time? Absolutely. I think they're as scary as it comes. The West has a lot of question marks right now. I sent out a poll last night on the Twitter about the future of, I think it was four teams. I listed the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, um, and the Kings were three of those teams all coming out of the West. Those teams, I think we all expected to sort of take more of a step forward than they have so far. You could argue the Grizzlies have been sort of where we expected that them to be floating around 500 kings and and pelicans are struggling it was a big win last night for the pelicans zion puts up 31 in the win against the grizzlies but uh those are some teams that i personally expected at least two of them to take more of a step forward than they have now as far as what did you vote on that poll nick who'd who'd you say Uh, i said i said the pelicans yeah it's fair, but I'm 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 pretty like I'm pretty like not cool with how the Pelicans are playing though, because it's like 
we've talked about it. Stan Van is a coach that you can get behind. The, the team has a roster from top to bottom that has, honestly, some of the best players in the, in the league as we as it stands. I mean, there's no reason why this team should be bad other than if you watched the game last night. No, Nobody gives a fuck on defense. Mm-hmm. Not one person on that team cares about defense, which is embarrassing because they have Steven Adams, the guy who can genuinely protect the rim. They have one of the widest players probably ever, since Charles Barkley at least, in Zion, who if he is off, if he comes off of a screen, he doesn't help. He jab steps towards the ball ball side, and then he goes back to his guy. And if it gets if it gets by his man, he doesn't even he doesn't even rotate. You know, it, it's almost like he he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing on defense. And the other part of it is, if he did know what he was doing, that's almost worse because that means he just doesn't give a fuck. You know, that's the kind of kind of team that we're looking at right now. And it, the worst part about this, on top of that, is that they have pieces that can play genuine defense in other systems. You know, Lonzo isn't necessarily a great defender, but he's long and he can get to the ball. Kira Lewis has been, came into the league as a relatively decent defender. He's been playing okay. You know, they, they've been utilizing him more because of that. And Eric Bledsoe is notorious for being a dog. You know, so it's like, there's no reason why this team should be playing the way they are, other than the fact that it just doesn't look like anybody there thinks they're good. They don't have an identity. They don't really have a, a direction where the team's going. They have a, a coach that's kind of a, placeholder for the next guy and i love stan van but i mean the guy's what he's got to be pushing 70 at this point he's not going to be there forever and uh and, and i don't know like he, he's he's been around he's been doing things well for a long time but his mindset's a little bit old school and it doesn't necessarily look like it's working there i don't know what's going on with the pels but all i know is that this is not their year clearly but if they want to maintain that talent that they have there in a zion williamson in a brandon ingram I mean, they got it. They have to ignite a spark underneath them, and it's not going to be them just turning it around and winning, because they're in a pretty competitive conference, obviously, and in, in a relatively competitive division in that conference. It's going to require them to essentially just give a fuck. That's that's what suck. That's the most frustrating thing about this. They just don't fucking care. There's so many teams like that right now. Where it's just like you see them, it's complacent. The Hawks are a great example of this, where they just go onto the the court and like two guys look like they're actually trying. Like Kevin Herter looks like he's trying. Clint Capella somehow turned it around, right? He looks like he's trying. And DeAndre Hunter, like those three guys look like they care. The rest of the team, including Trey, mm-hmm. specifically on defense, are just like, let's get back on offense as fast as possible. It's it's embarrassing, you know? I, I completely agree. Now, um, I'm not sure if you saw the trade that was floating around um, NBA talks this past week regarding Warriors and Pelicans, and I want to hear from you what you you think of this, because I had mixed feelings. It was, I believe the offer that was out there was J.J. Redick and Lonzo going out to Golden State in exchange for Oubre, Kayvon Looney, and a first-round pick. And you know what, it just... To me, it shows exactly what you're talking about with this franchise almost, they don't have any identity, zero identity. They haven't for a while. And it's like they make these moves and the pieces never mesh together the way that they hope to. And I just don't, if you're already thinking about moving, and we don't know how true these reports are, are they actually shopping Lonzo? Um, But if they are, it seems like, it's just it's really quick to move on from a guy that was a huge piece of that Anthony Davis trade. You're going to move on from him for a guy in Kelly Oubre 
that isn't exactly going to help you in any way, shape, or form. He's an okay player, but do we really think that's the piece you need? I would take the potential of Lonzo Ball in the next five years and what he could become over Ubre any day. And if it's that first-round pick that you're banking on, haven't we been talking about that with the Pelicans for the past four seasons since the Anthony Davis trade and even before that? Accumulate draft picks and see what we can do with them. Build pieces around Anthony Davis. Build pieces around Brandon Ingram. Build pieces around Zion Williamson. I just, how many times are we going to try and do that and get it wrong? And start adding players like a J.J. Redick and building a team that looks like a playoff contender. And then it goes right down the toilet and you're trading J.J. Redick away. I just I I don't feel like this team has any identity whatsoever. My big thing is over in the offseason, like did they have to get rid of Drew Holiday to get that trade? Was that necessary? Yeah. You know, because like Drew Holiday is playing all star caliber basketball in Milwaukee right now. Mm -hmm. He's in. He, like heavy consideration for one of those all-star spots. Did did New Orleans really need to get rid of him? Could they have could they have kept him and gotten Eric Bledsoe and moved something else like a Jackson Hayes or somebody that they're not really going to use in their system, but Milwaukee definitely could have used. That that's my big thing is like they got rid of the guy who was kind of the glue even though he wasn't I mean he was playing very good, very well. And he also gave them a little bit of a spark, which they just don't have. I mean, it was it sucks because everybody wants to watch the Pelicans. You want to watch Zion Williamson play. You want to see what he's capable of. And he does, on a daily basis, go out and perform. But what he does on that daily basis is go out and give you 31 points and then look like a, like a lost fucking giant puppy dog on defense, just like the rest of them. And it's like nobody on that team is the spark. Nobody on that team is going to... Tell Zion Williamson, like, get it the fuck together. That's what you need. You need you need a guy who can do that. Kelly Oubre's not that guy. No. None of those guys in that trade are that guy. Like, it's nothing's going to happen if that trade happens. It's going to be another fucking horizontal move that gets him into the same position. And the thing that's craziest about this is that they actually might compete still. They actually might be in a in a in like a competitive place to get a ten seed. But if I'm the if I'm the Pelicans and I'm their front office, like I'm making every move possible to make sure that this season is a wash. Because it's already done. There's no there's no point to make the playoffs this year. There's no point to go and get a 14 pick or 15 pick because you're not going to make it out of the first round. You can eat any team can easily figure out what they're doing. It's not hard, you know. You just have to put up 120 and kind of stop Zion and see what the re- the rest of the team's doing. It's I I mean I don't know. It's it's kind of sad to watch it, but we'll I mean we'll see if they can turn it around. I that, that that's the kind of thing that that's tough to say though because sometimes teams play poorly they lose games but they seem like they know what the fuck they're doing they don't seem like they know what they're doing and they're losing games you know for example the knicks right like the knicks for the first time probably since like 2012 seem like they have an identity they're they're a scrappy team they work around julius Randle. they have quickly scoring at at just a, a gem, like a gem rate, something that nobody expected coming. And you have the the surround guys. Like, we're not even talking about R.J. Barrett anymore. How amazing is that? Like, we, I was convinced that R.J. Barrett was going to be the saving grace of New York. I'm not convinced of that anymore. However, I know that he is a good piece to this team, and he can go out and give you 25 any given day, and he can play defense, just like the rest of the team. 
The beauty of it is when I see the Knicks play somebody, it's not going to be an exciting game, but I know that that team's not putting up 140 points. You know, that's the identity. The, the Pelicans just don't have it. And uh, and I don't think they're going to get it. And it's just going to it's going to take a veteran, you know, JJ while talented and a great role player for his time. I don't know if he is that voice. I'm sure he is the voice right now because he kind of has to be, but I don't know if he's the voice that can get these guys going. So, I I mean, we'll see what happens with that. But I actually like this as a as a like a lead-off point to the first thing we wanted to talk about because as we see the season go by, we're almost halfway done. I we're about 35 to 40% done with the season. And we're seeing these guys start to perform at a high level. And we see these ladders start to shift when it comes to the major awards. And I think the first one that we that requires us to talk about is that Rookie of the Year award. Because there are names that are rising that we didn't anticipate. And there's names that are falling that we definitely didn't anticipate happening. So I wanted to go through the top few and see if you agree with me on my ladder. Because I'm just going to give this to you really quickly. So... Number one, I have Mello. I think it's pretty clear that he is the rookie of the year favorite right now. Uh, number two, I have Halliburton. Then I have Anthony Edwards, who just passed over quickly for me. Then I have Sadiq Bay, and then the the one that's surprising to me after you know, it's, Rockets games are hard to watch, especially since Christian Wood got hurt. But since he's gotten hurt, his backup has kind of been killing it in Jay Sean Tate, averaging about fourteen a game since uh, since. Christian went down since he started to get those minutes. So that's somebody who has been an impressive surprise. Uh, so I'm that's my list right now. That's my one through six, seven. Mello, Halliburton, Quickly, Edwards, Bay, Jay Sean. That's six, actually. Do you have anybody different in there? Yeah. Um, so there's two guys I would like to bring up. Um, I agree with with that uh, that list for the most part. Jay Sean Tate's not somebody I know too much about, but – that Rockets team, they're just hard to watch. I really haven't seen caught many of their games this year. They're playing the Sixers tonight, so I'll definitely get a look at them. Uh, for me, there's two guys. One that's not getting a lot of conversation, but to me, in my eyes, has been impressive, is James Wiseman. I think Wiseman has fit that role really nicely in Golden State. He's cooled off a bit um, as we've seen that team sort of come back into form, but I, I just didn't expect him to fit as cleanly as he has in Golden State. I'm, I think that's somebody that has all of the skills to take it to the next level and develop his game. If I'm buying stock in a rookie right now from this class, I have a hard time arguing I'm not buying the most stock in James Wiseman to continue to develop his game. He's got all the pieces to really be a star in this league. The other one, though, that's grabbed my attention big time and I think he's sort of taken his minutes and rolling with them and showed that sort of an it factor is Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony has has surprised me a little bit in Orlando so far this season. He was somebody that was a big name in the draft. And I, I wasn't sure how much I bought into that. It's easy to look at a draft like this past one where, uh, let's be honest, a lot of people were unfamiliar with the list of names. There was no March Madness Everyone knew Cole Anthony's name. He was the spectacle in college. His dad's Greg Anthony, went to North Carolina. We all know the deal, gets injured. But he was someone that I'm looking at on draft boards. I'm like, this guy is small. He doesn't really play that strong of a defensive game. 
He's got some nice skill moves, but I didn't necessarily see it. And so far in Orlando, which is a team that, for the most part, has pieces, I've been shocked at what they've gotten out of him so far. I mean, he's averaging about 12 points a game. He had a buzzer beater already, which I think it was a two-game stretch, actually. He had two game winners in a row, I want to say. Which, I mean, when you're playing your rookie year and you're showing that kind of clutch, that's something I like to see. And I was not expecting it out of him. Cole Anthony's been a pleasant surprise. The other one, though, we're definitely going to be talking about him more. It is so easy to talk about LaMelo Ball and rave about him. But this guy, Halliburton, we were high as hell on him going into the draft, and he has exceeded my expectations and then some. I'm, I watch him play on a nightly basis, and I'm shocked at what I'm looking at. He shoots the ball at an absurd clip, and he can pull up from range. I mean, he doesn't just – you know when there's players that you watch shoot the three – and you're like, like they're making, they're, they'll, they'll make their fair share of shots, but there's, it's never, it's always hitting the rim. This dude, when he pulls up from range, there, it is nothing but net, nothing but net. He is a clean shooter, as we talked about in the pre-show. Terrible stroke. He's not a good-looking shot at all, which is something that it might need to be adjusted. But if you continue shooting the ball at this clip, how do you even change that shot? With with Halliburton. How do you, how do you, the other teams, how did they not look at that? And be like, what the fuck were we doing? Yeah. You know, he was what the third point guard off the board. Mm-hmm. He fell 13th, 14th. It didn't really make it. I, the, a lot of times, you know, when a guy drops, there's usually a, a consistent reason for it. Right. I couldn't think of any reason why he fell. I kept, I kept like trying to figure it out. Like, why, why is he falling? He's better, he's better than the guys who are coming off the board. And some of these teams could use a point guard. You know, the Suns definitely could have used a guy to back up. Chris Paul's not going to be there forever. Imagine if he was on the Suns, getting tutelage from from Chris. You know, I, it just none, none of it made sense to me. It was just a mistake that at the time we're like, this is a mistake for everybody else, <laughs> and now we're seeing it. So it's just what it's just. Clear incompetence from GMs, especially if any of the guys in front of them end up being busts. You know, Isaiah Stewart instead of Tyrus Halliburton, we're going to probably be talking about in that in a few years. We're probably going to be talking about a lot of the guys who went in front of him because it's not like all these guys are going to pan out. So I, th- he is he is a, a surefire talent, whatever on the shot. You know, I mean, a lot of these guys, what happens is they they grow up like skinny. And then they, they have to push their shot up because they're not big. And then they get bigger, and all of a sudden that shot starts, keeps looking like the push shot. That's like what happens with Lamelo. Like, Lamelo's jump shot looks like shit. I can't stand it. But it goes in, so you can't say anything. But it, the reason why he shoots like that is because when he was, what, 14, 15 on those Chino Hills teams, he was shooting, with, you know, shooting from deep with his brothers. And he was small and skinny, and he couldn't get the ball to the basket without shooting it like that. Now he just kind of keeps it that way because it's worked, you know. So we'll see if it adjusts. I I, I guess if it if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But eventually, guys are gonna know. Enough guys are gonna read enough scouting reports and see enough of his jump shot in in motion that they're gonna be able to contest it frequently. And I think that's that's gonna be what happens unless he gets it off faster. He gets off kind of fast, but not really that fast. So, and also he, my thing is. The going to Sadiq, Sadiq Bay, going down the list a little bit for me. 
he was given the player of the week last week, which is great. Like give the guy the player of the week, but he averaged like 17 and five. And that one is a little bit confusing to me why he got player of the week. Like, I feel like there was better weeks from other people. You know what I mean? Like why give a guy who's averaging 17? Like the, the reason why is because they were winning. They're winning, and you go. And if you're on a team with Jamie Grant, who's shooting like 25 shots a game, who literally will get the ball and will do nothing but shoot the ball, and you're getting 17 a game still, I think you're doing okay. And I think that's what they're talking about there. Yeah, no, I mean that that team is a clear. I I just there's there's something to me about I have trouble as I think it's like PTSD for me as a Sixers fan because I look at the fact that. Michael Carter Williams won rookie of the year on a horrible Sixers team because of the amount of volume he was getting. I almost think somebody like a Sadiq Bay is hard to evaluate until you see him on a formidable team. Um, I think there's a lot of guys year in and year out who you make that case for. It's hard to truly evaluate how good that player is until until you see them not even on a on a good team but a team that has other options like you said the Detroit at least they they do have Jeremy Grant um they got Blake but yeah they got Blake too i just I, he also here's another thing too just to just to touch on this i do, i am saying you know he's he's not he's not like lighting the 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 score scoring table up but he's also only playing like 20 minutes a game He's only playing 20 minutes a game. He's shooting higher from three-point line than he is from the field. Mm-hmm. So he's he's averaging two for four and a half, so like 42% from three, and like three for seven from the field. So he's pretty much only shooting threes. Um, shooting 80% from, from the free throw line. Like that's overall, that's total, and he's coming off the bench obviously. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. Detroit is a fucking burn it to the ground, just the city, but like the team also burn them to the ground as well. Like it's just not, it's not working. Yeah. Alvin Gentry has been given just like the shittiest spoon in the world going from such a great situation in Toronto, just to like the worst in Detroit. I will never understand when like these guys, these, these teams are just so poorly constructed and like, we know Alvin Gentry is going to get fired. Because for some reason it's his fault. I mean, maybe he won't. Maybe they maybe they're they're practical and they recognize that like they constructed the shittiest team around this guy and he's doing the best he can with them. But like history tells us that the coach is always blamed for shitty teams. And there's really only one coach who I can see like being at fault for how bad the team is, and it's probably Scott Brooks. Yeah, no. Who's I'm surprised still has a job. I mean I agree, and I it's something – it's the same thing. And you know what else really really pisses me off in all sports is the coach gets the blame when the second a team is in the wrong, but then also the second a team wins, no matter how good that roster was built by a GM, the second a coach a, – a team wins, all of their assistant coaches are immediately – no matter who they are or what they've done – they're immediately a top coaching candidate. That's something that drives me nuts, especially right. in football. Because it's not always the case. It's not always the best fit just because they won. Well, what did you do? If you're a defensive coordinator maybe, or an offensive coordinator, maybe your team somehow made it to the playoffs because their quarter and their quarterback went down and was injured all year and you made it to the playoffs with a backup quarterback. Or in the NBA, 
your team had no business being in the picture. Your GM constructed a terrible roster. And, oh, you found a way to be the eight seed with a bunch of journeyman players. Um, back to that Pistons point, though, real quick. That's a case of the general management is completely accountable for what's going on right now. Look at the draft picks from the last 10 or so years from this organization. Killian Hayes, yes, we, he's been injured. That's We're not determining what, what he is yet. Sekou is another guy that I, I, I do like, I think, we're going to find out. So you can't really evaluate those two quite yet. Then after that, you're looking at Bruce Brown, Luke Kennard, Henry Ellison, Stanley Johnson, Dinwiddie, who they traded away, KCP traded away before he became a player, Andre Drummond, will he get traded away, Chris Middleton traded away. So they've moved all of the draft picks in the past 10 years that were players. Brandon Knight, okay player, traded him away. But over the past six years, you're looking at Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellison, Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown. What player have they gotten out of that? Absolutely zero. It's just, it's been terrible, terrible drafting from this organization for a long time now. And so it's so funny too, because, you know, in my, when I was a kid in like 04, 05, the Pistons had one of the most consistent front offices in the NBA. I don't know what happened, man. It was just like it it fell off a cliff. They had the best construction of a team. The the starting five was so phenomenal. They won the championship. They make it back to another championship. And then uh when all those guys are gone, you know, Ben Wallace leaves, Rashid Wallace leaves, Chauncey's gone, Ritt retires and then he's gone, you know, Tayshawn was the last one standing, but like what's he going to do by himself? Once that's over, they haven't been good in a long time. You know, the Pistons have been bad since that team. And it, it's like now they are becoming synonymous with failure, which is interesting because they were absolutely never that before. Because mm-hmm. now you have to go back to like the 90s where they weren't great in the 90s, but then they got their, you know, uh, Jerry Stackhouses and, and the Grant Hills and, and, and those teams, which are actually relatively good. And then early 2000s, now we're looking at the, the Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace era. So they, I mean, before that, obviously Isaiah Thomas, fucking Dumars, like the bad boys. Like they've been, they were good for a while, and now it's just been like falling off a cliff. I don't know what it is, you know. And it's, I mean, it's whatever. They're not like a fun team to watch. It's kind, of, it just seems like a, it seems like a, just like a, a wasteland for players. Yeah, it's, it's just that's what it's felt like for the for the past few years. It's like Blake get send Blake over there because he can't fucking jump anymore. It's a sad. It's a sad thing to watch, by the way. Blake Griffin's sad to watch. It sucks. Yeah, you know, just can't can't jump, can't really move anymore. He just looks like he's limping all the time. I don't know if you've watched any Pistons games yet this year. It's it's pretty bad. Like it's I've, it sucks to watch it. I think it's time for him to hang him up. Honestly, you don't you um, don't think he, unless he can really really. You don't think he can still be a player though on a contributing team? Oh, of course, but I just don't think that he has. The I mean he's just hurt. Yeah. He's like it looks like he's chronically in pain. No, I agree. You know what I mean. He's and he he made a punch a bunch of money. This is just one of those those scenarios where it's like there's really nothing he can do right now for his legacy to really make the Hall of Fame. That's really the only thing left. Uh, and he I mean put him on a championship team maybe let him get a ring or something. But at the end of the day, like Blake is just struggling. I mean, how many surgeries has it been? Seven. Yeah. So many at this point, just like all on his knees. Like there's just no explosive explosion left. He he can't. He hasn't ju- he hasn't dunked in like 122 games. Did you know that? I honestly did not. It's been like over a year and a half. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? That's the the. I mean, think about Lob City. There was a time when you're watching a Clippers game 
where you genuinely could not go and take a piss during the game. You could not get up from your seat because you might miss something. Yeah, You might miss Blake Griffin literally just baptizing Kendrick Perkins. What's interesting too is, is when he developed that jump shot, the NBA, it, I believe it was with Detroit when he really started to develop that his first year there. And people were looking at that as like, holy shit. Blake Griffin with a jump shot. This guy can hit the three now. He's going to be a revolutionary player. This could transform his career. Now you look back at it and you're like, he had no choice. He had no choice because he can't – he didn't have the health. When Once you once you get to that point where your health is shot and you can't play with the physicality and the dynamics that you once did, that's when you resort to that jump shot. It's not always as – as luxurious of a thing as as we might think. I mean, and and for him, he was starting to get it, but after he got hurt again, and we started to see a little bit of a of re, a reduction in that explosion, then we started to see the mid range stuff in in L A. You know, and he was doing that a little bit more. He wanted to be more consistent with his point scoring. He is very similar to what Zion is right now, except a little bit higher flying. You know, Zion's not gonna just jump over you. Like he'll dunk when it's when it's there, but he's not gonna like rise up in your face and just slam it on you without any provocation. Like Blake was a different type of animal. Mm-hmm. He'll he'll jump over you, he'll do all of that shit. You know, Zion does what Blake does in terms of strength, but he's more below the basket with it. And unfortunately, and I hate saying this, but like they move very similarly when they're running, when they're moving side to side. I've been saying it since he was in college. Zion does not run right. No. And it's gonna it's going to have an impact. He runs on his tiptoes. Like he runs on the balls of his feet. He doesn't go heel to toe. And eventually playing an eighty two game season when you are the the leading minutes getter on your team, that minutes restriction has been lifted. It's very clear that he is now the guy. It's not. It's going to take an effect. He's twenty years old. Like eventually, it's gonna. It's gonna have an effect on him. And that's what we saw with Blake doing everything right. That kind of explosion just does not last, you know. Yeah. And, and and unfortunately, it's just they send him off to this barren wasteland in fucking Detroit, and, and now he's there. He's just chilling until they move him. He's obviously in trade talks right now. I hope he gets out of there. Uh, I'm hoping he comes to Miami because I I think they're they're top on his list right now. Cause he deserves it, man. Like he's 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 earned his shit. He's been in shitty situations for for years. He's been in unfortunate ends to to seasons for years before that in L.A. And now it's just like let Blake get his. Now let Blake get his. Like he he is humble enough to recognize his position. He's very much like Kevin Love, uh, uh, where it's very, like he knows that he is no longer the main guy. Very, I think, and those are two guys that I I brought up last night. Both of them candidates to be traded and I think that's exactly the case they both the issue is neither one of them for the past three seasons has been on a good enough team for them to take that back seat and that's why we we see them as like such disappointments or not even disappointments but just non-factors right now is because they're not they're on such bad teams that they have to have take a higher volume of shots than they really should be they should be playing that role on a championship team like an Iguodala did when he took the back seat. Now, the team I brought up last night after watching their game, that I'm curious to hear about how you feel about them. Because I sat there watching the Toronto Raptors and thinking how sad it is 
to see a group of role players that are as gifted and talented as they are just completely lacking one piece from being a championship favorite once again. And I'm not saying that Blake Griffin or Kevin Love is going to be the difference there because I'm not I'm not quite sure. They might they they really need that number one option is their problem. But I, I'm also not not so convinced that they aren't gonna, a couple additions away from being back at that status. The question for me is if you add a guy like a Blake Griffin or a Kevin Love and you combine it with some sort of a smaller role player, not necessarily a shooter, maybe a defensive-minded guy, maybe even a J.J. Redick-type guy, are they two pieces away from getting back to that status? Or is it really the, just a fact at this point that they need Kawhi Leonard or a reincarnation of him to get back to that point? Because I swear I still see Fred Van Vliet is it is proving that he is worth every dollar that they gave him. Siakam has bounced back from a really tough start. And I'm still such a fan of OG, Norman Powell, and, and the rest of the guys on that roster. Not to mention Kyle Lowry, who's been injured. I just think that that's a team that's getting slept on right now when they are as deep as they come. It's just a team that seems like they're built similarly to the Heat last year, and they're lacking that Jimmy Butler. The Raptors are always just like there. You know, they've been there since like 2014. Ever since the Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan days, like they've just been in the mix. Mm-hmm. They've always been a tough out. I just don't, I'm not really sold on them being playoff good. Siakam is not a number one guy. They don't have enough pieces around them to get a number one guy, enough disposable pieces to get another, a number one guy. What's their, what's their GM, the GM's name, the African guy? I forget his name. Oh, um, oh my God. I forget. Don't tweet at us. I fucking know. <laughs> okay. We'll figure it out by the time that you, you hear this. Okay. Anyway, I feel like at any given moment, he can just shut this whole shit down and just be like, fuck it, we're tanking. Yeah. Because, like, they, yeah, they're good. Yeah, cool, they're good. They're not going to win the division. You know, they're going to be, like, a five or a six seed, maybe four or five or whatever. And they're going to run into first round, you know, a, a good, probably, like, a Pacers team or maybe even the Nets, you know, just somebody who's just going to put them on their back and just rake them over the coals and they're not home like this season should be a wash for them if it was me i would just be like that's a great point it's a big difference they're not they're not eating you know home cooking they're not sleeping in their own bed they're at a fucking hotel or whatever they're doing in tampa tampa's a trash town i'll say it again tampa is a fucking trash town i was there last weekend um, saw Cameron Brate by the way and scotty miller no, i saw i saw that uh, at a bar that instagram from logan very cool yeah very cool it was interesting. Yeah, they they were fan fangirling the whole time. It was really annoying, actually. <laughs> he was like in, on the passenger side in the in the car, just like screaming. I was like, "Bro, did you did you meet Scotty Miller? Oh my god, I can't believe it." His his wife was sitting at the table next to us, and they were just trolling the shit out of Logan. <laughs> his like one of the girls was like, "Oh my god, that's Cameron Brait." <laughs> It's like his girlfriend. And Logan's like, yeah, I know. Isn't it crazy? And he like goes over to him. They're like laughing at him. It's like, dude, you're a fucking idiot, man. Come on. Do better. Like clearly. Like it's a group of hot girls who have nothing to do with anybody. It's clearly their fucking girlfriends. <laughs> like chill out. I don't know. Tampa is interesting, but I just don't see them being like. And, this, uh, and it's not just like they're in Tampa. They're in Tampa on this like real strict protocol too. Yeah. So they're not, they're not able to go out. Like they're in a they're in Florida. Like down here, they, there's no fucking rules. It's the Wild West down here. 
You know, people can go out, go to restaurants, there's bars open and shit. And like nothing, they can't do any of that stuff. So they don't get any luxuries of being home. Plus, they don't get any of the luxuries of being in the state where they're at. So it's like nothing works. Nothing's good. So I don't know. They're playing better than I anticipated. Siakam's put enough people in the spin cycle to average like 20 a game again. Yeah, literally. Because <laughs> all he knows how to do is fucking spin. It's the only move. Um, they, the- Anunube picked it back up. Yeah. You know, so I, I, it's all, they're always, here's the thing though, Mark, like they're always going to impress well, that's what I, anybody, not, not just you. Like they're always going to be impressive. It's just like, are they going to fucking do something? No, exactly. It? Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan were fucking impressive. They had Jonas Valanciunas. They had some te- some pieces on that team. It was impressive, but they would go to the playoffs and just get fucked. That's what's annoying is like, I I'm sitting here. I'm telling you, I was watching that game last night and I'm like, I'm I'm like man, I, this team is is selling me again. They're doing it again, and then I I sat there and I'm like, this is exactly what they did to me going into the bubble last year. If you remember, I was huge on them. I'm like, don't sleep as a finals team, and honestly, Miami was my finals pick. But I thought I thought both of those teams were in very similar situations. The difference, Jimmy Butler. It's exactly what you said. Siakam is their number one, but he doesn't have the instincts that Jimmy Butler does. And I, the question is, do we think Fred Van Vliet can be that at some point? He looks damn yeah. near phenomenal no, right he, now. He will. He's the, he's like 27, 28. He's entering his prime. Yeah. Lowry, if if I was the Raptors, I'm moving on from Lowry. No offense to him, but like put him on a team where he can win right now. Dude's like 35, 36, still, still putting up Lowry numbers. It's not as impressive anymore because they're just kind of an average team. But Lowry numbers is always good, you know. But Van Vliet, after that 54 spot, like, give him the fucking reins. Uh, I, and they have been, of course. But it's like, you know, play that guy 35 minutes a game. He's your guy now. We we all saw that last year in the, in the bubble. Like, he's the guy now. It's it's clear. Like, he's he is now the guy. He's two-way. He, he locks down on defense. Like, he knows exactly what to do when he's on the defensive side of the ball. There's no reason why he, does, he shouldn't be the guy. The one-two punch, moving on from, like, you know, seven years ago, we had DeRozan, Lowry. Now it's Van Vliet, Siakam. See how that works. If, in, in, on a new bay, let's see what he does. Like it's, it, he's there's time left. This is not a this is not a burn it to the ground. Really, I, I was being kind of dramatic with that. It's not a burn it to the ground team. It's just a there's pieces there's dead there's dead weight on this. No, team and that I need to get. The rid question of. is, do you consider? Because I thought this crossed my mind last night too. Exactly what you just said with Kyle Lowry. I'm I was sitting there watching this game like. I, I, I like the Raptors. I really like them. And I'm, I was like trying to put myself in the, sh- in the shoes of their GM. What would I be looking to do? And honestly, I'd like to ask you is, do you consider a move here where you say, let's get rid of Kyle Lowry. Let's move him, Kyle Lowry, get rid of whatever his cap hit is. Do you add a guy like a Boosh and maybe even OG? OG would be a huge loss, but is it worth moving Two uh, two young guys like that combine that with Kyle Lowry and some draft picks to get a Bradley Beal. Is that is that a, is that a move that's worth making? Because suddenly you, have- I mean, obviously it's uh, of course worth making, but the Wizards want to take. Yeah, it. I, I don't know if they have the package. To do it. You, you'd have to you have to trade like every pick you had for the next four years. Yeah, you because know, it's like they need something to build on. Kyle Lowry can't build on him; he's thirty six. Now you have two point guards. You have him and Russ. I mean, it doesn't the. It doesn't really make sense. 
I think a big name that should be more in trade talks is Vooch. I think that Vooch should be more. Yeah. I mean, Mike made a great point about it last week of sending him to Boston. Boston needs a big man desperately. They have they have packages that they could probably work to send to Orlando. I also think that if they're going to move on from Kyle Lowry, like the, the Raptors are going to be very reserved to do so because he's honestly at this point probably the best Raptor ever. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, he's been there for ever, like for so long, and he's been doing so well for that team. You can make a case, obviously, for Chris Bosh. You can make a case for like Vince Carter, even even Kawhi's one year bringing them a championship. But at the end of the day, who's been there through it all? Kyle. It's been Kyle Lowry. Yeah. I mean, it's he's just he's been a, he's been kind of frustrating at times, but he's always gotten this shit done. You, you can't just trade him to some bullshit team. You know, you can't fuck him over like that. And I don't think they will. I don't think that their business sense is going to overtake their their decency in that case. So I think that if they're going to trade him, it's going to be to a contender. I don't think it's going to happen before the end of the season. I think this is Kyle Lowry's last year in, in Toronto, though. I don't really see them keeping him. Makes sense. I don't see why. I don't see why they would. It doesn't make any sense anymore. I mean, of course you want him to retire for you. I get that. But it's like, you can't have Kyle Lowry and sit him. You cannot do no. it. And he and he, his price tag is absurd. You just paid Van Bleet. He's making a fuck ton of money. You know, you're going to have to pay the other guys down the road. Like, make space. They're doing okay, you know? Okay, so we did the rookie ladder, devolved into talking about Kyle Lowry, who's the least rookie of any player in the (laughs) fucking league. Now I want to talk about the MVP, because I think right now it's a three-horse race with other names kind of like dipping in and out. Top three, obviously, we have LeBron and Bede Jokic. Is that your top three? Yeah, no, absolutely. What what's your what's your order for those guys? Okay, it's uh, you got to separate where we're at right now and where we are moving forward because that eight no right now yeah that's right now then that's what I'm saying the ladder as it stands right now the season ends today Rudy Gobert touches a bunch of fucking microphones he gets COVID twenty <laughs> and everybody's like dying again whatever season shuts down they can't start it back up who wins the MVP I go Embiid LeBron Jokic okay Embiid LeBron it's interesting see. I my my breakdown is this. We all we both have Jokic third. And I think for me it's LeBron and Bede Jokic just because again it's a storyline and I think the better story right now is LeBron. That's fact. Even though he's averaging the worst numbers of his in like 6 years. He's averaging like the worst shit he's averaged in like a long time. It's still like there's no clear favorite. Last year, Giannis was kind of the clear favorite to back-to-back. First, you know, the year before was clearly Giannis. Before that was Harden. Before that was Westbrook. Then, you know, it's Steph twice. Then KD. I mean, all the stuff. And then LeBron's winning it before. But this year, there's no clear number one. And because there's no clear number one, that bodes very well for LeBron. Like, that's exactly what a LeBron MVP season looks like. Is that there's really, there's just nobody else. There's nobody else that's clear, and it's like now all of the voters are like, yeah, I guess like he is really the MVP every single year, so we should give it to him because he's like the most valuable player probably of all time. <laughs> and so I think that's what's going to happen. I think Embiid can easily overtake him. I've Dude, Embiid is playing some fucking basketball, dude. It's crazy Why? to watch what he's doing right now. And It's absurd. I, I've He is so strong, by the way, so strong, so light on his feet. So surprisingly light on his feet. His post moves it is are wild. I don't I don't know what where I don't know what he's what he did over the offseason because his offseason of only like fucking three months. But even compared to the bubble, his post moves are off the charts. Dude, his 
His footwork his, is, is phenomenal. I'm, his player efficiency right now is the there's only one player in NBA history that has been seven foot tall and had this high of a player efficiency. His name is Wilt Chamberlain. It is ridiculous. But the problem, and I've been saying this all season long, is will he miss too many games or is he going to miss the perfect amount of games where they go like one or say they go like two and 12 in the games that he he doesn't play in, boom, there's your MVP case right there. Most valuable player. But now – I was about to say that's good Exactly, That's a good now, thing. If that but then if he misses too many, that's where the problem is going to be, just like his rookie of the year campaign where he only played 30-some games and they didn't give it to him, gave it to Malcolm Brogdon instead when it should have been Dario Saric. I'll, I'll throw that in there. But that's that's the other really interesting element. Is Wait, 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 wait. Would you really want – another shitty rookie of the year i mean would you really want that okay. you already had you had mcw who, who like looks look at what he's doing now well exactly. and like sarge is now just like what, what's he fucking doing what's, he's just like an annoying well what's European. weird is is let's be honest here malcolm brogdon is is we talked about last week as an all-star case he's an unbelievable player right now he has one of the worst rookie of the year campaigns of all time his every, his numbers because well, that was it was supposed oh. to be Ben's. No, yeah. that whole draft was 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 surrounded around Ben Simmons, and it's just like now he's fucking hurt. No, so who's exactly. next? Who's, who else is there? I just think this the MVP conversation. We're talking about it at a really awkward time because of the Anthony Davis injury. That we don't know where that's going to take this race. Like, do you think that that's that's going to push LeBron over the edge? Because there's a chance. Like, this is a perfect storm. The KD injury, the AD injury, it seems like, just like you said, that narrative for the season, it's a LeBron MVP in LA. Well, the narrative that I feel like that his PR people probably fucking started this year 18 thing. Yeah. Because it's like he's doing this. He's 36. No, exactly. That's that's the narrative. doesn't matter what AD does. They're going to be a top three seed in in the West. Mm -hmm. You know, the Jazz are doing some crazy shit right now. And uh, they're genuinely contenders, and I, I don't think we can anybody can sleep on them right now. But what LeBron is doing with the Lakers is MVP caliber basketball, regardless, because now they're factoring the fact that again he's 36 years old, playing better than pretty much everybody in the league. I think that's got that that is that is going to be the difference maker. Is it his age coupled with his productivity, coupled with the consistency of that productivity, and the fact that in all reality he has been snubbed for the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's always the, he's always the fucking most valuable player. I say this every time we talk about it, he is the most valuable player on our, and any team he goes to look what he did to the Cavs when he left twice. Exactly. And, and so it's clear. So it, you know, we'll, but we'll see if he gets it because there are cases to be made for the next two guys up. And I mean, I was watching Jokic last night. I was like, waiting for him to miss one of those baby hooks he does he stepped it up man he is he is on just like Embiid he is on a different level and there is no with Jokic like he's averaging what it was like 29 27 like nine assists and like 11 boards or 12 boards or some shit yeah he's a seven footer who's got a chance to average a triple double and you know they've they've picked it up if he does by the way if he does that he wins there's no doubt the only reason why he's not number one right now is because there's always been a bias against the Northwest 
division. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's not. Because look how long it took Dame to get an all-star. Look how long it took Carmelo to get an all-star. Yeah. Look how little they look at those players consistently. Look how Dame gets snubbed for all for MVP votes every year. He's one of the best players in the league, probably best five players in the league. Yeah. And and it's it's just because they play in this division that nobody really knows about. The Jazz are are, are a great example. They literally have to be like 22 and 5 for people to fucking look at them. If they were middle of the pack, it would just be like, "Oh yeah, the Jazz are there again." Cool. No, it's it- they've been doing they've been doing that for a long time, you know. And so now we, you know, the bottom two, of course, are the Thunder and the and the Timberwolves. So that's whatever they go by the wayside. But you have the Jazz, you have the you have the Nuggets, and you have the the Blazers. All three playing well, but people don't care. They don't fucking care because like you have to really show out in that division because there's no flash to playing in Portland, Oregon. No offense to anybody out there. That's not a flashy flashy town. Salt Lake City is literally like Mormon Central. It's not flash. Look at look at when they have a full stadium. It's literally like playing Where's Waldo to find a black person in there. Literally, that, try just fucking try. I'll give you ten dollars if you can find one within the first minute. <laughs> There's they don't exist. The there is if you see a black person in Salt Lake City, they are on the Jazz, or they play for the University of Utah. They're kook or BYU, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not it's not like a it's not a, a like a fun town. No offense to you know Mormons out there. I'm sure you guys are very fun and you're right. But like comparatively to LA, I'm sure it's less desirable of a location. You know that's just what it is. So I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that Jokic is getting like he has to do this just to get looked. He was putting up MVP caliber numbers last year, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even considered. Now he had to up his game. Just to get looks, if he averages that triple double, it has to be him. It's it's complete bullshit if he doesn't win it. If he gets that triple double, even if he comes close, his numbers have not diminished that much. I was considering that it was going to, but it never did, or it hasn't yet, at least. I mean, he just does. Man, he was just not fucking missing last night against the Celtics. At least what I was watching. No, and I've never. The team can't play any. They can't play a look of defense. It's, that's that's what's gonna kill him. No. That team cannot play a lick of defense. It's Gary it's, Harris. It's, uh, that's it. He's all. That's it. On that yeah, because Jamal Murray doesn't give a fuck. You know, Michael Porter Jr. Like that video. I, I, I that video I tweeted on on from the foul line, where LeBron literally just like, do you see where LeBron just literally just dribbled full court and no one even touched him? As far as Jokic, goes, it's embarrassing. He has that, despite the the fact that you wouldn't think it. Looking at him, he can take over a game, and he's done it time and time again. He took over the game last night. I think that that's got a big part of it when you watch these guys. I mean, there's plenty of – here's a name that's on the MVP list that no one will talk about. He's not going to get any votes. But Rudy Gobert is just as valuable as any player in the league right now on that Jazz team. He's having a phenomenal season. No one's going to talk about his name in an MVP race. It's not – I also think – I don't think Gobert cares about MVP. I think he just wants deep points. Yeah. No. And I think he'll, he'll honestly get it this year again. Yeah. Well, that'll be three for him, I think. Yeah, no, he's he's building so he's building a, a goddamn Hall of Fame case at this point. Yeah, I I mean he came from I mean I remember watching his uh, draft tape when he was coming out of France, and I was and because he at the time he had the longest wingspan of all time. I think Mo Bamba tra- uh, trumped him, but he had the longest wingspan ever. It was just like man, if this guy can if this guy can figure it out on defense, like fucking forget it, and he did. So fucking forget it, you know. Like he, he's killing it. He's just doing a great thing on a great team. Quinn Snyder's got them playing great basketball. Donovan Mitchell looks like he's a bona fide number one. 
Mike Conley is playing competitively with Donovan Mitchell. It's like people are asking a question. I said this last week. Who is the better guard right now on the Jazz? That shouldn't be a question to ask, but it is because they have to ask that. He's going to get snubbed again for for All-Star. He's never been on an All-Star team, and I think it's just funny at this point because like, I don't think he's ever going to make one. Like, and it's going to be like a 17-year career where everyone knows his name, but he genuinely never makes a fucking All-Star That's game. wild. It's like Rod Strickland. Rod Strickland was in the league for like 15 years, was always like averaging like 18 and 11 and never made an all-star game. <laughs> it's because there's always just somebody better. It's just, it's, it's how it goes. It's only 12 spots. So, I mean, I think that's what, what's going to happen there. But, you know, go, dialing back, going all the way back to, to, to Jokic, everybody else, maybe with the exception of LeBron, there is a comparison to be made we can make a historical comparison to what they're doing, right? There is no legitimate historical comparison for Jokic. I can't think of, I can only think of one. And that's the the person who I wanted to talk about for the second half of this, because we're not used to big men being able to do what he does, being the facilitator of an offense. We haven't really truly seen it. We saw a little bit with Shaq. You know, we see it with some guys sometimes, but we haven't really seen it in the NBA since Bill Walton in the 70s. You know, Bill Russell did that as well. Walton was going to be the next guy averaging four or five assists a game, but obviously, you know, the, the, his legs said otherwise. But there was somebody in the 80s who we know his last name now because of his son, but Arvidas Sabonis, right? What do you know about, our, about Sabonis, Mark? Honestly, not too much, but I'll tell you, I remember when when DeMontis came on the scene around the same time as Jokic, if not even a little bit before, I want to say, probably around the same exact time. But I remember seeing a quote about this guy, and I'll read it for you right here. He has this about his father, talking about his father, because they didn't know at that point, was DeMontis going to be a similar guy? He's a little bit smaller. Uh, a little bit more skilled, I would say, as like a shooter when he was coming into the league. This guy, Ardvis, I see this quote about him. He has the shot of an off guard, the eyes of a point guard, the body of Hercules, but unfortunately, the mobility of a statue. You read that quote, and if you read that and you didn't know the name, wouldn't you say the exact same thing about Jokic? The exact same thing. And yeah. it's, it's, I mean, he moves, he moves slow. It's crazy to see a big man with that type of vision and how it changes an offense. Sabonis did the same thing when he was in the league. I mean, it took him a while to get here, but, but he did the same thing for his offense. It completely changes it when you have a guy that's that big with that great of court vision, stands in the middle of the paint, can distribute the ball. And, and you know, Mark, the thing is with this, obviously this is a spoken word thing. There's no visuals here. We can't, I can't show you what Sabonis looked like in his prime. You know, I was watching all of his tape last night to see what he, this man was capable of in his heyday. Uh, absolutely unbelievable shit. You know, because when he came to... People forget, he got drafted for the first time in 1984 in the Jordan draft, right? He got drafted by the Atlanta Hawks, but they couldn't claim the rights on him because he was Lithuanian, who at the time, of course, that was part of the Soviet Union which is why he played for the USSR. He gets drafted again in 1986 by the Blazers, who retained the rights on him for about nine years. But people still don't really know who this person is. He got drafted 21st overall 
in a in a draft that had the likes of like Patrick Ewing. There were some big names in that draft. However, or was that eighty five? Whatever. Eighties always had good fucking names. I'm just gonna keep going. People got a feel for Sabonis when it came to the 1988 Olympics, right? Because this was the last Olympics where they weren't allowed to have professionals or they weren't allowed to have NBA players. So we had all of our amateurs going over there. And at the time, the amateurs looked like David Robinson, the big name. Uh, Muggsy was the point guard. There's a bunch of other names on it. But the big head-to-head here was David Robinson against Arvita Sabonis. And if you and I'll, I'll honestly, I want to put this on either the Twitter or the Instagram so you guys can see this. Sabonis toyed with David Robinson and made him look like a bitch the whole time. Blocked him like five times, was posting him up. And the thing that gets me watching somebody like Sabonis playing in his younger days, and the reason why I wish we got to see him more, is that yes, exactly what you're saying. His passing ability was not just that of a point guard but he had a touch of a big man as well he had the strength of a big man to get the ball to where it needs to go we're talking about being able to go back to the basket see what's going on around him get the ball to where it needs to go without it necessarily being an assist of course but still flowing that offense the whole time doing that as a seven foot three center able to see over literally everybody and at the time He's also a seven foot three center who can shoot threes. And we had never literally seen that before. That was the first time we had ever seen anything like this. So when he gets to the NBA, he's 30, you know, he's 30 years old. He's got a big block head. He's 293 pounds at seven foot three, which for him was a little bit big. And we never got to really witness Sabonis the way that we could have. You know, in his years when he was playing in Spain. So he played in Spain majority, the majority of his international career. Played for the USSR League for a few years as well. Brought them to the championship a few times. But when he got to Spain, he starts averaging things like 20 points, 12 boards, two and a half blocks a game. Doesn't look crazy. The European game's a little bit different than ours. So stats aren't going to pop off the screen as much. It's a much more team-oriented game. So to even average 20 a game is absurd. But he was able to run in transition just like a Shaq. He was able to, he had the kind of court vision. What I was watching, it really, really, and I know this is going to sound crazy, it really looked like Magic Johnson. Genuinely. I read, when I was doing my research on him, I read somebody that went to go see him in Europe and said his exact quote was, he has Magic Johnson's vision in Shaq's body. When have we ever seen that in the league before Jokic? It's really, it's such a comparison. The two of those guys. But even but the thing is, like, Jokic, Jokic can be that if he slims. Because if Jokic drops another, like, 10, 15 pounds, gets rid of that little belly fat he's got going on, like, trims up and can start to run faster. Like, he is the transition guy, but their transition is slower because of mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? Like, he's bringing the ball down the court, but their transition there relies on him finding the open guy instead of them getting, uh, you know, two, two-on-ones or three-on-twos or whatever, any kind of numbers. You know, whereas Sabonis is doing the same thing, except he is beating you down the court at the at this heyday in the international community, which at the time was not very highly regarded. But everybody who was an international scout, which there were some at that time, but not many, said this is the best big man in the league right now. He's the best big man in, in basketball in the world, you know, and I don't think a lot of people disputed it at the time. It just so, so happens when he came here, he was old 
slow, hurt. We got a broken version of him, and we weren't able to witness it, which is why he is so easily comparable to Jokic because his mobility was reduced. By the time he got to the Blazers, his mobility was reduced, and he wasn't as capable of uh, of the side to side motions, of the sprinting down the courts and stuff like that. You know, not not nothing against Jokic. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. The fact is that he is he's a point center. If you've ever fucking heard of that, you know, point center probably probably Bill Russell is the only NBA experience that we have, or maybe Wilt also, who did lead the league in assists one year just because he wanted to. And it's just, I mean, it's it's not, there is no basis for a comparison with Jokic. It's a very cool concept, though, if you think about this, Mark, because if he is able to do this for long enough, big men down the road, the young kids, especially Europeans, are going to get, ri- they're going to get raised watching Nikola Jokic doing what he does, and we're going to have a whole slew of them coming up. Yeah, and it's, it's not... I want to tread my words lightly here because I'm not saying it's easy. But it's it's something that that can be learned. If you have a big man who it, – it's a matter of philosophy and what you learn growing up and are, are taught from your coaches. And I feel like for so long, if you're a big man and you grow up playing basketball, there are very few cases. And I think it's, it's very easy to look at the fact that European bas- basketball philosophy is different. And you know, in America, we don't we don't grow up with this idea of a center that can sit there and have his greatest asset be his vision. It's just something that doesn't exist. We don't ever get to see that. And I think you're exactly right. The success of a Jokic is going to change the NBA. It's going to make it so that offenses start to say, "Hey, if we have this seven footer who can stand down there in the middle of the post and distribute." open up our offense a little bit, but at the same time, you still have to respect his jump shot. It's I'm not saying that every player is going to be able to be as gifted as Jokic, but it's something that can be learned from a young age. You can run an offense built around a big man like that. It's something we never really saw before. Back in the day, your big men were your board getters, and they were defensive freaks, and that was just about it. There was no real distribution going on. You had to get a point guard who who could distribute and then a big man who had some nice low post moves and could rebound and defend. Now, there's all all new floodgates being opened up in terms of this stuff. I just fear, like you said, Jokic's body type, will will it result in the same injuries that Sabonis did? Sabonis was dealing with ankle injuries, leg injuries, um, tendon injuries. Are we going to see the same thing down the road with Jokic? That's going to cut his career short because that's the one. I think the difference I have there with that is that he doesn't really do anything like super athletic. Yeah, Sabonis was a high flyer as well. Not high flyer. He's seven foot three. He doesn't really have to jump that high, but he's the kind of guy who has highlights of him breaking backboards and shit. He was a Lob City kind of recipient, if you will, in his day. And that always has a lot to do with it. We were talking about Blake before. I mean, Shaq. He's another one. Like. That kind of force will cause it. I think that Jokic plays a style of basketball that is sustainable. Because, like, even think about it this way: if he gets hurt in his legs, it has to change up the way that, like, he doesn't have to change anything about his style of play. Mm-hmm. Even if it causes him to get hurt, he's not going to have to change anything. Just like we were talking about with Blake, he had to change everything. Grant Hill gets hurt; he had to change everything, become like a lockdown defensive guy. 
Jokic gets hurt in his, in his legs, doesn't really have to change anything about his game. He's complete. He can say exactly the same and maintain his uh, his health. So I think that that's the little bit of the difference there. But again, I mean, it's just that bias, man. It fucking sucks. It sucks to see a guy who plays as well as him, who it's it's so it's so clear that the only reason that he's not getting more MVP looks is because we're not watching him every night. Mm-hmm. Whereas like LeBron's on TV all the time. Uh, and beads on TV all the time. The damn how, how often is it? the damn Phoenix Suns, bro? Every single night, I love them. But man, they get every primetime game on the West Coast. Yeah, every I one. mean they're exciting. Exactly, they're fun to watch. They are fun to watch. So it's like I get it. I get that. But like the Nuggets, you'd think after their bubble experience, they would get more looks. But they they really are about the same as it always is. And I think a big thing about that is that the the time difference doesn't really. You know, play too well to a to a primetime audience. You'd have to have their games be at like six, just to be able to have that shit go. Um, you know, for us to be at eight it doesn't really work. So it's an interesting di- dynamic. Um, but I think that the biggest thing for them is that Jokic is playing the best basketball of his career, which is absurd if you think about it, because how well he's played in the past. And I'm I'm interested to see how this pans out at the end of it because if he does average that triple double you know it's looking less and less likely of course as the time goes on as it always does but if he's able to go on a surge and get that triple double is there literally any excuse for him to not get the mvp the only thing i can think you know is if the only way that he doesn't get it and averages a triple double and i still think he has a case if they fell out of the p- playoff picture the Lakers are the one seed and LeBron gets up to um, like he would have to be averaging over nine boards and over nine assists. If that's fair, that's the only it's still just like it's still I mean, hard to argue. Then, yeah, I know. It's just it's unbelievable. It's never been seen before. And he's been close to this. He's averaged like eight a game last year. So it's like he's done it close to before, but just never like this. Mike Malone is perfect for him. He's been doing a great job. I'm excited. I think, you know, Jamal is disappointing. Again, thought he was going to take a step forward. Never really did, but it is what it is. But I think that's enough of that. I, I'm out of stuff, really stuff to say. Do you have anything to to add to the end of this, Mark? I do want to give a, a quick shout out to something on – we're working right now, uh, like we mentioned earlier, on live tweeting a lot more during these games – night in and night out, um, getting those Twitter, the Twitter page going, the Instagram page going. So I would just say both go like and follow both of those. We just ran a, uh, put up a giveaway on the Twitter account. We'll throw it up on the Instagram as well. But yeah, enter that giveaway. We're giving out some, the new, the new fab right now in the basketball world, sports memorabilia, couple, couple nice rookie cards, Kobe White, a uh, RJ Barrett, and then we also have a Luca and a Giannis. So all you got to do, retweet, follow to enter. And then if you want to as well, leave a five-star review like Nick always says. Go leave that five-star review and we'll throw in an extra entry for the giveaway. So just something, a little bit more of an incentive for you guys. We'll try and run some giveaways. I have plenty of basketball cards to dish out to you guys as listeners. A little bit of a thank you for everything you guys do for us. Yeah, shout out to the file line fan. We appreciate you guys. Um, shout out to Podcastagram for the for the feature today and tomorrow. 
Um, today being Thursday, we're recording this on Wednesday, but today is Thursday because that's when you're listening to it. That's what's that's what's fucking important. <laughs> and uh, go to go to Apple Pod, leave that five star. You know, enter that contest. We'd love we'd love to see more people review, more people listen and 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 uh, engage with us on Twitter. That's really what we're doing. It's a it's a fucking movement, man. It's a fucking movement. Got a lot going on. So. That being said, I'm out of shit to say. Honestly, I uh, there's only so much I can I can say. Mainly because I'm pretty sure I still have like habanero, uh, pepper flakes in my fucking lungs. This is is this what mesothelioma feels like? I'm not aware. Maybe I don't know. Maybe we can get a class action going. That being said, if uh, you're not ugly, stay beautiful, and we'll see you guys next week. Perfect. Nice episode. <laughs>